0: God, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gift of another Sunday and another chance to be together and look to your word. And so, God, we just ask for your help as we read from uh, the book of Matthew. Pray that you would teach us, help us to learn, to understand. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you uh, convict us where we need to be convicted and challenged? Would you comfort us where we need to be comforted. We just invite you, Lord, and ask that you would do your work here with us. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, friends. Well, hey, grab a Bible and open it with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you need a Bible, there are some on the seats in front of you. Again, that's Matthew 7, verse 24. We're continuing our summer series titled Parables, where we look at these parables of Jesus, these stories that Jesus taught about life, about himself, about the kingdom of God, about how we are to live. He took these stories and he used them to to force us to chew a little bit on these truths and see what he was trying to tell us. And so, Matthew 7 is where we'll be with a new parable this morning. And as you're turning there, I've realized that there are some of us who are great builders. Some of you are great with construction and engineering and you're a planner and you know how things work and how things fit together. Many people in our church are in that industry and great with building and with construction. But then there are some people who are not as good at building and construction. And you would not want them as head of a project, as a project manager, you would not trust them with that responsibility. And I came across some people like that online this week as I was preparing for this message and I found some examples of people who were bad at engineering. Their construction project was not fully thought out. I'm glad you guys laughed. First service did not laugh at this picture. And that's a shame because that is gold, okay? It's beautiful. All right, next picture, another few examples. Again, I don't know who designed this or who was the project manager, but something was missed. You probably wouldn't want your child on that slide. Okay, one more. Actually, I think we have two more. Again, a Not sure who engineered it. The plan wasn't fully thought through. And there's one more up there. Yeah, a little home project that just wasn't going to work out. So these are bad construction plans. Whoever built these, designed these, engineered these, wasn't thinking it all the way through, right? It makes you wonder, what were they thinking? What was their plan? I mean, maybe they came up with this plan and at first it seemed reasonable. But upon further reflection, it should have become clear that this was not a very wise or prudent plan. And so we can laugh at these pictures, these examples, and we we should because they're they're rather silly. And yet there is a spiritual parallel here. And you're like, here pastor goes again. I knew he was going to do this. I knew, but there's a spiritual parallel here to these pictures. The reality is that we are not always wise builders. Sometimes when we set out to build our lives, to construct our lives in the present and for the future, we are prone to some foolish building habits. We don't always think plans or think things all the way through when it comes to our souls, when it comes to our eternity, when it comes to our life with God. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in his parable from Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Let's look at it together. Matthew 7 verse 24 says this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its Foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great (coughs) crash. So these are the words of Jesus at the end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount a very famous portion of Jesus' teaching that we find in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's what some would consider the clearest or the most significant picture of who Jesus was and what he had to say. And he ends this section of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, with this parable, this story about two builders. And the storyline's rather simple. There's a wise builder... And a foolish builder. For both, a storm comes, and the wise builder who built his house upon the rock, when the storm comes, the house remains and stays standing. But the foolish builder, as the storm comes, has his house come crashing down. And so Jesus' audience would readily relate to this story from their own life experience because there were some in the ancient world, especially in the region of Galilee where Jesus was teaching, who would build their homes upon this hardened dirt and sand in the area that appeared sturdy enough. It looked like a good foundation to build upon, but it was subject to shifting to instability. And so as storms would come, especially in the winter months, things could be devastating for these homeowners. Others, though, would dig down to the limestone bedrock that was solid and secure, and they would build their houses upon that so that when a storm came, they would have a firm foundation and wouldn't have to worry. And we can even relate to a parable like this today, because we know if we are buying a house or building a house, we know one of the most important parts of it is the foundation, right? Is the foundation secure? And if it's not, that's one of the bigger red flags, one of the bigger problems with the house, very pricey to fix. And so, as with his other parables, Jesus is taking a Pretty ordinary situation: building houses, things like that, to teach us these deeper spiritual truths. Because see, he's not just concerned about ancient building practices, right? The best practices of ancient construction. That's not what Jesus is trying to get at. There's there's more here, and his point, really simply, is that there are two ways to build your life. He's saying there are two ways to build your life. And the first way is marked by wisdom, he says in verse 24, right? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So very simply, if we build our life on Jesus, we are called wise. We will have a firm foundation and be able to withstand the storm that comes if you think about it, that's a pretty bold claim Jesus is making. His audience certainly thought so. His audience was shocked by his authority he spoke with. Look at verse 28. This is after the parable. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus taught with authority. The teachers of the law in his day, they knew the scriptures and they knew that uh, the law of Moses and the word of God had authority. And so they would point people to the law of Moses. They would point people to the scriptures. But Jesus is doing something different. He's pointing people to his own words. He's pointing people to his teaching as authoritative, saying you need to obey me you need to put my words into practice. He's putting his words on par with the Old Testament scriptures. He's putting his words on par with the very words of God. And the crowd was amazed at this teaching with authority. See, at FBC, I merely point us to the words of Jesus. Right or to the word of God found in Scripture. I don't stand up here and say, whoever hears the words of Pastor Matt and obeys will find eternal life. Whoever listens to me, I would not speak with that kind of authority, and if I did, you should leave the church. You shouldn't go here. Because only Jesus can say something like that. Only Jesus has the kind of authority to say, listen to me and build my life upon me and the crowd realized that and they said he's he's not like other teachers he's giving us something different entirely now it may seem clear from the text this next point I'm about to make but I think it's important that we not overlook it jesus is saying that he is the foundation we are to build our life upon he is the rock his person, his work, what he has done. And I say that because I remember teaching this passage in a Bible study in college at Sonoma State University. Seawolves, anybody? Seawolves, come on, thank you. Thank you, Ron. Ron's a good sport, he did that for first service too. Beautiful. So we were at Sonoma State. We were in the dorms with a group of freshmen. And I was, I was a junior, I think at the time, maybe senior, teaching a Bible study on this passage. And I, and I asked what I thought was a pretty straightforward question from the text. And I asked, what is Jesus saying we should build our lives upon? Right? What is Jesus saying we should build our lives upon? So again, we look at verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's everyone who hears the words of Jesus and applies them. It's Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the rock. But I remember uh, this sweet girl in that freshman Bible study, very kind girl, very bright girl, but she answered that question and she went on to explain that uh, she thought Jesus was saying that you just really need any old foundation you need to have a firm foundation in your life so it's important to have have convictions have a good head on your shoulders know what you're about be true to yourself you need to have a foundation that's really what jesus is trying to get at as i heard her respond i try to kindly and gently say hey I, i understand where you're coming from and those things that you mentioned aren't necessarily bad things but is that what jesus is saying here Is Jesus saying, hey, any old foundation will do. Hold firm to your convictions, whatever those may be. That's what it's about. No, we have to be honest, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is actually saying something very narrow, something very exclusive, saying, I am the foundation. I am the rock that you are to build on. And that was very uncomfortable for this freshman girl and I'm sure plenty of others to hear and to wrap their heads around that Jesus would say something as exclusive as it has to be me. I'm the foundation. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. Let's think about what he's telling us to do, to hear his words and put them into practice. What does that look like? What does that mean? At the most basic level, it starts with a response to the gospel, that Jesus has called us to follow him. He's invited everyone to follow him to come to him and believe in him for the forgiveness of our sins, to be reconciled to God, to be adopted into the family of God. So it starts with trusting him, believing in him, responding to the gospel. And then we go on to sort out our life in relation to him. We put all of our life under the authority of Jesus. We say, He is our Lord. He is our King. And so I want to live His way. I want to obey the King. I want to please the King. And so we can look at the scriptures, especially Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Just look at the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is telling us, here's how I want things to look in my kingdom. Here's how I expect my people to live. And He goes on and He teaches about loving our enemies. And He teaches us about prayer. And He teaches us about forgiveness. And he teaches us about uh, marriage, even. He he teaches us about generosity. He teaches us about all kinds of things. And if we read through it, and I encourage you maybe this week to take Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and, and read through it on your own, you'll see that a lot of it goes against our default posture, our initial assumptions about relationships, about how we should treat people. A lot of it is really hard for us to live out. But Jesus says, hear my word and obey it. Practice these things. And so we have to ask, will we listen to him, hear his word and apply it? Notice he doesn't just say, I want you to hear. I want you to know what I say. No, he says, I want you to do it. I want you to put it into practice. I heard a pastor one time, Francis Chan, great teacher, speaker, author, And he used this illustration to show the importance of actually putting into practice the word of God, not just hearing it. And it was too good of an illustration to pass up. And so I wanted to share it with you. He essentially said, imagine that you tell your child, your son or your daughter, hey, I want you to clean your room. Pretty simple, right? They come back to you later and you say, hey, did you clean your room? And they say, no, but I memorized what you said. You said, I want you to clean your room. Say, okay, great, good, great, but did you clean your room? No, okay, go clean your room. They come back to you a little bit later. Hey, did you clean your room? No, but I got a bumper sticker that says clean your room so that everyone knows I'm serious about what you have to say. You're like, okay, great, did you clean your room? No, okay, go clean your room. And they come back again, did you clean your room? No, but I can say clean your room in Greek. I did an in-depth study on the word clean in the original language, and now I know so much about this topic. It was great, you say, okay, go clean your room, right? Then they come back, did you clean your room? No, but actually, later I'm gonna have some friends from church over, we're gonna have a small group discussion about what it would look like for me to clean my room. We're gonna talk about it, get some different opinions, and we're gonna pray about opportunities for me to go and clean my room. Say, just go clean your room, right? Very simple. That wouldn't fly in your household, right? And sometimes with, with the Lord, we say, well, I know these things. But he says, no, what I really want you to do is apply these. Put these into practice in your life. Obey. And if we do, if we build our life upon Jesus, like the wise man, the text says, verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet... It did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And so if we follow Jesus, our house will be sturdy. We'll be able to withstand the storms that come, which could mean the trials, various challenges that we face in life. That are hard for us. If we have our life rooted in Christ, then we have incredible resources to navigate suffering and loss and grief. God is with us in that. That's very encouraging. But in a, in a bigger way, Jesus is pointing us forward to judgment day. And he's saying that a, a bigger storm is coming. Meaning, We all will stand before God one day and have to give an account for our lives. Jesus often would use a climactic moment in a story, a moment of crisis in a story to talk about judgment, to talk about the coming judgment day. I believe that's what he's doing here. So he's reminding us that judgment is real. The Bible tells us that because of sin, we've separated ourselves from God. We're worthy of judgment, condemnation. But God in his grace sent Jesus to die for us, that we might be forgiven, welcomed back into the family of God, cleansed of our sin. And so he's saying, if you build your life upon me, you don't have to look forward to that day with with fear. You can look forward with a heart of peace and rest. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's the good news of the gospel that we celebrate every week. And so if you're here this morning, you've put your faith in Jesus I hope that you can leave with great assurance and confidence that in Christ you are forgiven in Jesus you are reconciled to the father you have a relationship with the God who loves you so much you can sleep well at night knowing of the security you have in Christ God's love for you is now and forever this is a, a message of hope and confidence it's good news And yet, in the parable, we do see a word of warning, right, as we read on, because there's a second builder. There's a builder that did not build upon the rock, as you see in verse 26. It says, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash, Jesus says there's another builder, and he doesn't build wisely. He builds upon the sand. Like some of those pictures we saw at the start of the morning, he did not think his plan all the way through. His construction project did not go well, and the storm comes in his life as well, and his house crashes, it falls. And so who is the foolish builder? It says, verse 26, anyone who hears the words of Jesus... And, and does not put them into practice, does not believe, and does not obey. Now notice with me that for a season, for both builders, their houses looked fine. Right? There was a season where the wise man and the foolish man, they both had their houses. They were standing upright before the storm. Things looked good. And maybe that foolish builder looked at his wise neighbor who took the time to dig down and build on the rock. Maybe the, the foolish builder looked at him and said, why is he so silly? Why did he take the time to do that? I've built my house right here on the surface, right here on the sand, and it seems to be doing just fine. It's quite secure. It's quite stable. Why would he go through all that work? See, the hard sand around the Sea of Galilee, again, would look firm, would look sturdy, especially in the summer months. It seemed like it was a good idea to build upon it. And it wasn't until time happened and the storm came that it revealed how short-sighted his plan was. This reminds us that it's possible for some of us to build our lives upon things other than Jesus. And we can embrace opinions and convictions and and believe things and live certain things out that feel right, that even look right for a time. And yet, Jesus says it can lead to destruction. Proverbs 14, I've read this one before for us. It says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And that that verse scares me. It scares me because it it points out our capacity to be deceived. Our, Our capacity to believe things, to embrace things that feel right. And they sound right, and they look right, and maybe people around us cheer them on. Jesus says it could lead to death. So his point is that it might seem like a wise idea to build on the sand. It might seem like there's not much of a problem with it. The issues might not be apparent right away. But he's saying in the end, we have to look at the big picture of life with Jesus and life without Jesus. So what does it look like to build our lives on the sand? What does that mean? Well, Sometimes, well, actually, excuse me, I'll start with this. It means whenever we hear the words of Jesus and don't put them into practice, right? That's what the parable says quite plainly. It's when we let anything other than Jesus define our lives and take the primary place in our hearts. And notice, this can include religion, this can include external signs of moral behavior, jumping through certain religious hoops. Because some of us, we hear this parable and we say, well, I go to church and I've heard about Jesus. I talk about Jesus good amount. So this really isn't for me. I'm not really in danger of that. But we have to think again and realize who Jesus is talking to here. He's in Galilee. He's talking to ancient Jews. This group of Jews, his disciples even, who... They know the scriptures. They know the word of God. They have a rich tradition of believing in the Torah and seeking to obey the Lord. And so he's not talking to some pagan masses out there in the world who are immoral and irreligious and want nothing to do with God. He's not talking to those people right here. He's talking to religious people. And so it reminds them and it should remind us that it is possible As we talked about a few weeks ago in the parable of the prodigal son, like the older brother, it's possible to try to keep the rules, to live a moral, religious, upstanding life in your community without truly knowing Jesus. Jesus is saying it's possible to go to church, to build your life on your behavior, take pride in your self-discipline, and jumping through the hoops, it's possible to do all of that and not know the Lord. To do all of that apart from God and not really love Him. Jesus is saying if we do that, we're building on sand. It's not going to hold. But just as common today is not necessarily going the religious route of building, but some of us will go the opposite direction and go the irreligious route where we build on plenty of things other than Jesus, where we don't really care as much about God's word or about obedience to him. We just say, well, I'm in charge. I'm sovereign over my life. That's kind of the narrative today, the sovereign self. You are the highest authority. So no one, not even Jesus, tells you how to live or what to believe. It's really just about what you feel, what you think, what you want. And so when we come to God's word, when we come to the words of Jesus, we say, well, I'm going to put myself over that, and I'll take parts of it that I like, but the parts I don't like, I'm not really going to read into those too much, not really going to worry about those, rather than placing ourselves under the authority of God's word and going wherever it leads us. And really, our our anthem today in our culture has become, let it go from the movie Frozen. (laughs) Do you know the movie? Do you know the song? We're not going to sing it right now. Don't worry. If you're familiar with it, we, we have a daughter. We've watched it many times, so we know the song quite well. But in it, there's this uh, powerful moment, this turning point in the movie where one of the main characters, her name is Elsa, she realizes that she has the, these, these feelings, these desires, this frozen ice power inside of her that she needs to let out. She's been pushing it down for too long and she just needs to embrace her true self. No matter the consequences, she needs to be who she truly is. She sings this song called Let It Go. She needs to test the limits and break through, she says. She's kept her true self hidden for too long. Even in the song, she says, there's no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm just going to embrace who I am. No matter the consequences, no matter what anyone else says. Again, that song resonates with a lot of us. There's a lot of American values tied up in that song. It's about you and what you want to be, who you are. Now, let me be clear. I don't want to be misunderstood that there is value in parts of the song, right? Being yourself, being in touch with your emotions, being aware of your deep, Desires and longings, it's not bad to recognize those, to be honest about who you are and what you feel. I'm not saying that you just repress things and don't think about it. But if we embrace the mentality of let it go without reservation, without qualifications, say just what matters most is me expressing myself, no matter the consequences, no matter what Jesus says, no matter what anyone else says, there's a, a deep problem. And that we've set ourselves up as the authority in our lives and not Jesus. And actually, even if you watch the movie, I don't think Disney tried to do it this way, but if you watch the movie, you see how her choice to let it go brings destruction It brings devastation in her life and in her community. I mean, think about it. Where does she end up as she sings the song, Let It Go? She runs off into the forest. She ends up in this ice castle with a ferocious ice snowman, and she's isolated. She's alone, and the whole region is in this uh, frozen, eternal winter. It's like it's devastating for everyone, and yet we hear that song, we're like, yeah, let it go, yeah. (laughs) It's like, look what even happens in the movie. It doesn't go well. And so again, we, if we embrace that mentality, we say, Jesus, I don't, I don't need you as a foundation. I can build my own foundation. I'm going to build my own foundation on what I think, on what I feel. And so what matters is not, Lord, what you say, but it's what I say and what I feel about, about anything, about, about my money, about my time, about my relationships, about my sexuality, about how I treat people, how I treat people who are vulnerable and in need. Doesn't matter what you say; it matters what I say. And Jesus is showing us that that is a massive problem, and it's something that we're all prone to. He says, "If you build your life on anything other than Me, it will lead to destruction." And so the question is: Will we surrender? Will we surrender our will to His? Now you might be thinking, "This is rather narrow." Pastor Matt is mean. He's, ex- I mean, really, he's exclusive, very narrow in how he views the world. Isn't there a problem with that? You're saying, really, that anyone who doesn't hear the words of Jesus and believe them and apply them is headed towards destruction in their life? And the answer is yes. I mean, that, that is what Jesus is saying. Let's just be honest. Let's look at his word clearly. That's what Jesus is claiming. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. It fell with a great crash. New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg summarizes it this way. In response to this parable, he says, the person who responds to the gospel with obedience will survive God's final judgment intact, but... The person who refuses to follow Christ in discipleship, on the other hand, will be destroyed on that last day. Again, maybe you're here and you're thinking, that, that can't be what he really meant. That can't be what Jesus is really saying. That sounds too harsh. That's not the Jesus I've heard about. That's not the Jesus I, I want to believe in. Maybe Matt's just taking this way out of context. He's twisting this really obscure verse of scripture, and that's not really what Jesus is about. Well, again, let's look at some other verses around this passage. Look a little bit earlier in chapter 7. A few verses earlier. Verse 13, Jesus speaking. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Two paths, one to life, one to destruction. Verse 15, skip ahead a little bit. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. He's saying, don't believe everything you hear. Not every message you hear is true, even if it sounds right. There are true prophets and there are false prophets that will lead you astray. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me, On that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, this this is heavy stuff. We shouldn't take this lightly. Jesus is, is repeatedly saying, Hey, there's a road to life and there's a road to destruction. There are true prophets, there are false prophets. There are going to be people who come to me at the end and say, hey, we're, we're good, right? We're cool. And you say, I, ne- I never knew you. You never walked with me. And then there's, there's going to be people who build their house with wisdom upon me and then there's going to be people who, who don't. And their house will come crashing down. And so see, this is not just some marginal, strange, obscure teaching of Jesus. He's saying this over and over again. He alone can give us life. And again, I when we hear this, this is not saying that people of other faith traditions or people of other beliefs don't have wisdom or aren't, they're not kind people, not maybe generous people, who have great things to offer the world. It's, that's not what this is saying. It's not saying that we should be smug and condescending because we're right. It's not the spirit that Jesus is trying to bring to us. He's simply saying when it comes to a big picture view of life and eternity, Jesus alone can offer us forgiveness and reconciliation with God. And just being honest, this this truth has troubled me before. I've really had to sit with this and chew on it and say, this is exclusive. There are serious consequences if if this is true. It's hard for me to kind of wrap my head and my heart around. But then I started to think about again the fact that we are all exclusive in our beliefs whether you're a Christian or an atheist or Muslim or you name it we're exclusive in our views I remember I saw a friend of mine online he was talking about Christians and he was lamenting over Christians and he's like I can't believe there are these Christians out there who are so arrogant to believe that their way of viewing the world and spirituality is the right way I can't believe they're so arrogant to believe that they're right so I, that's kind of a common, common objection today. It's easy for people to throw that out there. Christians are narrow and, and arrogant. And so I talked to him. I pointed out, it sounds like you're pretty convinced that your way of viewing spiritual realities is right. Right? Like, is, so you, you think I'm, as, as a Christian, that I'm wrong, right? Yes. Okay? And so you would say that a Jewish person and their view of the world is wrong and a Muslim person, how they view the world, is wrong, right? It's like, yeah. And so I was like, wait a second. You're, you're saying other people are wrong. I'm saying that I think I'm right too. We're saying the same thing about different things, but why does that make me exclusive and you not exclusive? And so again, it became clear that, hey, we all have convictions. We all have opinions about how the world works, about spiritual realities. Even if we think we don't, we all have those convictions. And it's not bad to have convictions, but it does matter How do we treat people who disagree with us? How do we engage with people who don't view the world the same way? That's really important. And that's where maybe sometimes Christians have gotten a bad name for themselves, is we can be smug or arrogant or condescending to people, rather than honestly wanting to talk with people and hear what they think and genuinely hear what they believe and have a dialogue. And so it's not arrogant to have convictions, But it's how we hold those convictions, how we engage with people is very, very important. Another New Testament scholar, William Klein, is worth quoting here at length about the exclusive issue. He says, in our relativistic and postmodern era, it appears the height of arrogance to pronounce that Jesus alone is the way. Even many Christians are embarrassed by such exclusive claims. Of course, most people will assent to exclusivist thinking in certain realms, if a doctor prescribes a very specific drug is the only way to treat some malady, no one accuses her of arrogance and claims that any old pill is just as good. If a man is drowning in the sea and a rescuer throws him a rope, he would be a fool to argue with the demand that he grab onto this particular rope in order to be rescued. Jesus' essential intent is to raise the truth issue. Some issues are either or issues. He claims that there are only two ways, a wide way and a narrow way. What's more, there are good and bad trees, true and false prophets, wise and foolish builders. In Jesus' view, only the narrow way leads to life. So with this parable, Jesus is saying, there are two ways to build. Upon him, which leads to life, or upon anything else. And that will lead to destruction. And so, the invitation really here is for all of us To build our life upon the rock for all of us. To put our trust in Jesus. That's the good news that we celebrate. That we can put our faith in him. Build our life upon him. Have him as our foundation through faith. It's it's not through our works. It's not that we earn it and we have to clean our lives up and look a certain way and be good enough for God to love us. It's freely offered to us in Christ if we would believe. If we would trust in him and walk with him. The invitation is for anyone, for all here today and so I hope that you'll hear not just a word of of judgment or harshness as you leave this morning but a word of hope a word of grace that you are loved by God, God loves you he's made a way for you to be in relationship with him he sent his son and that's why we celebrate Jesus because of what he's done for us on the cross so let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we have to be honest that your word often challenges us. It confronts us. It convicts us. We don't always like what we hear. And yet we believe that you are Lord, that you are our king, that you are our authority. We want to live life your way. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us come to terms with your word, that you would help us surrender our hearts and our wills to you, that you would help us find life in you and you alone, that we would be filled with joy as we serve you, that we would be filled with gratitude as we walk with you and because of what you've done. We love you so much, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.